welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito, here to bring you weekly roundup number five. It's February 19th, and we've got plenty of news as always to cover. We love bringing you our weekly roundup. It's our way to bring you some of the breaking news of the week, major headlines, and as always, our funny quick hits. So, uh, as I said before, plenty of news, so let's get right into it. Our first segment going to take you to a new tool that the United States is using to help uh, with green investment. So the White House on Friday launched a beta version of a tool that will be used to determine where to invest billions of federal dollars to bring clean energy and infrastructure to disadvantaged communities, a key step to fulfilling a promise by the Biden administration to prioritize environmental justice. The Council on Environmental Quality unveiled the Climate and Economic Justice Screening Tool used to map and identify communities that are most in need of investment by weighing income levels and over two dozen socioeconomic health and environmental indicators. So that's going to be something great. You know, we've talked about infrastructure investments and we've talked about uh, different things like food deserts and a lot of disadvantages in minority communities. And this is something that we don't get to talk about is the the energy needs that we need in our community. So um, this will be something, Devin, that'll be great to see how this plays out and what the administration is going to use this tool to do. It's kind of just in the beta version. So we can't, you know, say this or that about it. I'm not going to give a lot of predictions, but we do know the purpose is something that's hopeful uh, and has a great goal. So we can only hope for the best. Absolutely. I hope this is, you know, leads to more fair, you know, investing. Of course, it's going to disadvantaged communities, but uh, we know infrastructure can lead, can be racist in how it was implemented. So Definitely glad to see this coming out. Um, So our next story here, we're going to go to New York, where former President Trump is back in the news. We haven't talked about him in a while, but he is back in the news this week, and we've got a couple stories on him. So uh, there was a ruling that came out this week. A judge is saying that former uh, former President Trump must answer questions under oath in New York State's civil investigation into his business practices. And so a judge ruled this on Thursday. Uh, judge Arthur uh, Ingeron ordered Trump and his two eldest children, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr., to comply with subpoenas issued in December by New York Attorney General Letitia James. And so Trump and his two children must sit for depositions within 21 days. Uh, and, he's, and the judge said this following a two-hour hearing with lawyers for the Trumps and James's office. And so Trump's lawyers told Ingeron that having him sit for a civil deposition now, while his company is also subject to, is, is the subject of a parallel, parallel criminal investigation, is an improper attempt to get around a state law barring prosecutors from calling someone to testify before a criminal grand jury without giving them immunity. And it's sort of similar to what happened to one Bill Cosby. So we'll, we, we will, of course, let you know what happens with this if they actually do sit down for these depositions. But as of right now, they have 21 days to get it done. Yeah, that's uh, it, and one of the things I remember saying early on in Donald Trump's presidency is that, you know, him being president is probably going to be one of the worst decisions he's ever made. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it's like open up his whole family to so much. I mean, it's so much so that, you know, 
his sister, who is a federal judge, you know, resigned because she was about to get, you know, investigated for a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's just like, (laughs) you know, if he hadn't have made this decision, his family's name, all of, you know, the the New York Times story about his family doing all this tax fraud and stuff like that. I mean, and now the story that we'll talk about, about, you know, the fraudulent, um, um, or rather him, um, um, aggravating or or rather exaggerating his actual assets with some of his skyscrapers and hotels Mm -hmm. to get uh, loans and stuff like that. You know, none of that probably would have really come to light had he not, you know, know, wanted to run for president, (laughs) but you know, we'll, we'll see how all this stuff plays out. Um, Interesting story here for you listeners, you know, in, in kind of the line with black history month, the Cherokee Nation, one of the largest Native American tribes, is acknowledging its role in slavery and discrimination against its black members. Axios reports that Cherokee officials are searching for the descendants of black slaves who were once owned by tribal members and asking them to share their family stories. It's an effort to acknowledge the evils of slavery and correct the lost history of black Cherokees. Tribal officials are now trying to make amends by piercing together the free men's history. They are urging their descendants to share family stories for photographs and memorabilia, which they would house in an exhibit at the Cherokee National History Museum. It's part of the Cherokee Freeman History Project, which is a really cool thing. I didn't even know the uh, Cherokee Nation or any really Native American tribe had a role in slavery. Um, I didn't really know much about discrimination towards its black members either. So uh, learning something new here, Devin, and it's good to see that, you know, people are starting to acknowledge if only we can get, you know, everybody else in America can, you know, to do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tall ask. No, but it's, it's, it's great to see, you know, some acknowledgement of what happened. Haven't even got that from the federal government in the United States, but Glad to see the, you know, the Cherokee, uh, Cherokee Nation, you know, trying to go ahead and, and just, you know, acknowledge what happened, but also help connect the the dots of, you know, who who went through and everything like that. So definitely great to see that. So we're going to go from there. We're going to go to the Olympics where there is a little bit of news. Now, Shakira Richardson is not in the Winter Olympics, but she is has been in the news cycle related to the Olympics. Um, and you again, you probably remember her, Shakari Richardson or Shakari Richardson. Sorry, um, she was barred from the Olympics after testing positive for THC, and she has now slammed the Olympic officials for deciding to allow Russian figure skater Kamila Valiva to compete despite failing a pre-games drug test. And so the court gave her a favorable decision, in part because she is a minor known in Olympic jargon as a, quote, protected person and is subject to different rules from an adult athlete. And so uh, the figure skater Camilla tested positive for trimetatazine. Oh, man, never mind. She tested positive for an anti-doping drug that the World Anti-Doping Agency categorizes as a hormone and metabolic modulator. And this is according to the Associated Press. And so... When taken without proper cause, the drug can bolster endurance and improve circulation, which both effects could give a high-level figure skater a competitive advantage. And so in response to Shikari's uh, criticism at the 
that was aimed at the Olympic Committee. An IOC spokesperson, Mark Adams, issued a statement amid the controversy um, and made it clear that Richardson's case should not be compared to that of the Russian teenagers. So uh, I would agree, you know, with what Shikari said. Obviously, you know, she took a banned substance. She tested positive for it and she still got to skate. Um, but Shikari did not get that benefit of the doubt. I do I, I do understand the difference. She's a protected person. She is a minor, so we're not sh- quite sure how to it got into her bloodstream, but nevertheless, she did take a, you know, she did take a drug that is banned, but she was allowed to compete anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, my uh coworker and I, we were talking about this and we were saying, you know, it's probably, you know, since she's Russian, you know, we don't want to touch this right now because <laughs> You know, it's just hot. You know, any more tension with well, Russia is probably going to be dangerous. You know, maybe I don't. I believe that it's you know, I, I get that she's a minor, she's protected or whatever. I, I uh-huh. get that, but obviously, if she's taking something that's banned and it's something that could give her a competitive advantage, um, I, I mean, just for fairness to everyone else, she probably should just not be able to play, you know, perform. I mean, I just, you know, if, like I said, just with those two things, I mean, I get that she's a minor and we don't know how it got in her system, but that's, that's beside the point. Um, I don't, I don't want to make it like, this is a black white thing. Like I don't want to, I don't, I get how it's easy to make a racial thing. I don't want it to necessarily take it that level. I just think it's, I get how they're saying, well, we look at it as a minor and I'm just saying, well, just look at it. It's something that, you know, it's banned and it's something that could enhance performance. You know, we don't, we don't need that, you know, but <laughs> I, know, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, you don't want to make it a black white thing, but it's just hard not to see the parallels between what happened to Shikari and what happened in this um, instance. Now, we're not saying everybody on the Olympic Committee is racist, but there, are, there does seem to be a double standard here. And that some people get the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, and for the most part, when, when black people do something, you don't get that benefit of the doubt. You don't get the past of, oh, your mom had passed away and we understand that you were dealing with some things mentally and you wanted to relax. You don't get that. You get the blunt force of whatever the rule is and you get the punishment and you just have to take it. And that's how it has always been pretty much. We just don't get to make those mistakes. And Shikari is correct here, but she also had to take, you know, acknowledge that she made a mistake when she did what she did. And we know that we have a higher bar to uphold. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's, I, I, I can agree. I mean, it's, it is one of those things to where, you know, it's hard to take race out of it, you know, cause it's, you know, even though it's an international competition and not just an American thing, you know, race relations around the world, you know, have tendencies to be 
uh, more tense than than other situations, and they lead to a lot of division. So uh, we'll keep mm-hmm. you in the loop, you know, if we hear anything about that. Um, I'm sure, you know, Russia, you know, news will probably keep you up, you know, <laughs> keep you in the loop too. Um, but we wanted to talk a little bit about some stuff that we found in Black History Month uh, that's happening around the country because a lot of a lot of people are doing stuff to commemorate and celebrate Black History, and unfortunately. Um, some people are getting upset about that or either, you know, you know, doing it in the improper ways. And, and this is, this is the improper way to probably uh, commemorate black history. So a school in Indianapolis, which I am actually an hour away uh, is under fire after an offensive black history month assignment, according to wish TV uh, or WIS TV, W I S H TV, Fall Creek Valley middle school. That's the school that we're talking about had students draw pictures of black people picking cotton for a social studies assignment. They were also instructed to draw white people working industrial jobs. Some of the students refused to participate and one child called their parent to complain. The Metropolitan School District of Lawrence Township said in a statement that school that the school demonstrated poor judgment and that the issue was not with the curriculum, rather the delivery and the inclusion of a prompt at the end of the of the end to draw an image that depicted economic life in the South versus economic life in the North during the 1800s. So, you know, I get where they were kind of going, Devin, you know, with this, like, you know, saying that economic, you know, progress in the North was mainly about in industry and manufacturing and factories and stuff like that. It was booming. And then of course in the South, it was mainly about agriculture, which happened to be, uh, mainly, you know, cotton, you know, cotton is king and slaves were doing it, but they should have, it definitely, the, the delivery of this was just wrong. I mean, it's, they could have, they could have shown this in a better way, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. There were a lot of different ways you could have taken it. You could, you know, you didn't have to have the kids draw it maybe. Um, but yeah, this definitely took a left turn. Where it was just kind of like, or just have them draw the something about farming. It doesn't have to be black people picking cotton. They picking can just cotton. draw like you know farms, and <laughs> I mean, but even even still, it's going to be bad because you're going to be drawing plant uh, plantations, and you know, yes. you're probably going to want to draw some people on those plantations, and they're going to have to be you know people of color, and then you're going to have an overseer here or there, and I'm just like, see, you just this, this is a- why you just steer clear <laughs> of stuff like this. Yeah, if you have to, to show the kids that's different, but just let's maybe not let them draw it. You know, let's just not. I don't know. It's it's a touchy subject. It's always going to be a touchy subject when you talk about cotton in particular, and and plantations and drawing things. It just you're going down a a bad road. <laughs> but uh, we'll move from that story to another Indiana. This is funny. The state of Indiana, where you are, Adrian, is really catching it right now. Um, So there's another Indiana school that's facing some criticism after one of its counselors sent a memo allowing parents to decline Black History Month lessons for their children. The counselors in question said that she will be when she sent the memo, the the memo said that she would be coming around and teaching lessons related to equity, caring and understanding differences, and this would be in honor of, of Valentine's Day and Black History Month. But the memo ended with, quote, if you would like to opt your child out of receiving these lessons, 
then sign the form below and have your child return it to the school and give it to the teacher. And so in a statement, uh, Emily Tracy, the superintendent of Brown County Schools, acknowledged the memo and said district officials were gathering uh, more information on the matter. So, you know, Adrian, at first, when you read the headline, we were talking about this before the show, when you read the headline, you would think that this is a black history lesson that's being taught in the classroom by a teacher and it's in the curriculum and they're giving parents the option of opting out of that. This seems just from my point of view, not saying what she did is, is any better, but this seems to be like more of an add on lesson that the school counselor was going to do talking about equity, caring and understanding differences. And they are giving children and their parents the option to opt out of these these really are extra lessons, essentially. These are not part of the curriculum for what I understand. So on one hand, I don't like it. But on the other hand, I'm like, eh. you know, <laughs> it's it's not as if they're opting out of reading the part of the textbook that talks about slavery and all the black figures of history. So it's not that. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, got- it's... <laughs> This is definitely one of those cases where the headline can make the story seem a little more worse because it's not like, you know, the school is saying, you know, we're not going to teach black history as part of the curriculum or that what we're doing is saying that we're doing something and you can opt out of learning a part of that, you know, part Mm -hmm. of black history. It's just, um, you know, she's trying to do something good and add a little extra layer to probably maybe reinforce some things that were probably missed. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't think that, you know, any sort of diversity and inclusion sort of, you know, exercises and lessons, you know, we shouldn't get our kids to opt out of that because that's going to be like, we're giving them the decision to opt out of being inclusive and wanting to have a diverse population. Like we want them to, you know, that's, that's not like, I'm not going to say that we're like a communist, but that's a, that's, that's a, you know, that's something we need, you know, within our children. So um, good intentions may be gone wrong. Who knows? Um, we'll we'll keep you updated. But to wrap up this segment, listeners, we're going to end on a high note here. This is about a founder who was named the top Black-owned app developer in the United States. And this is Clutch, a popular reviews and ratings platform, is named Core Mobile Apps, the top Black-owned Black-owned mobile app development company on their platform. The war recognizes high-end development firms that maintain exceptional diversity within their agency. His company faced stiff competition in the race to be named the top black app top black app developer in the United States. During the award vetting process, core mobile app development is a uh, uh, during the award vetting process. Core Mobile App Development is a division of Core Media Concepts, LLC, and was spawned in early 2013. Along with mobile app development, there are two other core services, are web design and social engine optimization. The company is proud to support small business and minority-owned organizations, as well as deliver excellent quality technical services to all clients, no matter how big or small. So really, really cool. I saw this article and Mark Cuban was hugging the uh, app developer. So, uh, you know, he knows some people in high places. So really nice to know that. But uh, like I said, listeners, we're going to give you your first break here. So make sure you stick with this. we got plenty of more news. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? 
If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our second segment here. And so we're going to go international and go back to the Russia-Ukraine um, story that has continued to develop. We've brought this to you the last couple of weekly roundups, and there's more to it now. Uh, President Joe Biden said yesterday that he is, quote, convinced that Russian President Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine, including an assault on the capital. And so just to let you know, a lot of things are happening this week. A humanitarian a humanitarian convoy was hit by shelling and a pro-Russian rebels uh, group has evacuated civilians from the conflict zone and a car bombing hit the eastern city of Donetsk. And but there were no casualties reported. And so all of this is swirling around as Russia continues to move more troops toward the border with Ukraine. Uh, the Kremlin in Russia has announced massive nuclear drills to flex its military muscle. And Putin has pledged to protect Russia's national interests against what he sees as encroaching Western threats. And so uh, President Biden has said that the U.S. and Western allies were more united than ever to ensure Russia pays a price for the invasion. So this story here, Adrian, gets more serious as each day goes along. Um Russia, I've seen here, is, is sort of running almost a, a, a disinformation campaign, as, as they did in 2016, almost trying to provoke some sort of response from Ukraine so that they can have an excuse to go in and invade the country. But it does seem as though we're getting very, very close to seeing you know, the start of a war here that we haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, it is. It's starting to look pretty messy here. Um and, you know, I don't really know what what you really do with somebody like, you know, like a Vladimir Putin. It's like, you know, diplomacy, I feel like, doesn't really work as much. Um, I mean, we've I feel like we've been trying that. Uh, we've got someone who uh, is a more diplomatic leader like uh, Biden versus Donald Trump. So um, we'll definitely make sure to keep you in the loop, listeners. I think every week that we've reported this story, it's gotten you know deeper and deeper and more heated. Um, so we'll see what where we get with it. Um, but to take us back to Donald Trump and to take us back to the take us back to stateside, <laughs> um, classified information was found in the 15 boxes of White House records that were stored at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. The National Archives and Records Administration said in Friday on a letter that confirmed the matter has been sent to the Justice Department. The revelation could also interest federal investigators responsible for policing the handling of government secrets, though the Justice Department and FBI have not indicated they will pursue. No matter the legal risk, it exposes him to charges of hypocrisy given his relentless attacks during the 2016 presidential campaign on on Democratic opponent Hillary Clinton for her use of private email servers as Secretary of State. Um, so interesting, you know, to see. I I don't know why. Yeah, was, I don't I don't know what information he took, but I don't know why he would have taken anything in the first place. Um, and you know, maybe it's something he was trying to keep um, from you know people from knowing about. Who knows? But uh, definitely a little bit of hypocrisy there from uh, Donald Trump, as always. Hypocrisy is his middle name. <laughs> Not to be <laughs> cliche, but. 
it does bring up the the hypocrisy of you know Hillary's emails, Hillary's emails, you know, from 2016, and now we've got Donald Trump's files that he took from the White House. All this classified material. Uh, it just pale to me. It pales the comparison to what Hillary did, but. I digress because we could go on for hours about what they did to Hillary Clinton, but uh, we'll move <laughs> right. on from there. <laughs> we'll move on from there and go down. Uh, we're going to go up to Brooklyn, I believe, or New York City, where there is a a, uh, a priest in New York who's trying to work to change the Catholic Church from within. And so there's uh, parishioners worshiping at St. James uh, Borromeo Catholic Church in Harlem are greeted by a framed portrait of Martin Luther King Jr., who is a Baptist uh, minister named after a rebellious 16th century German priest who was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And so there's a reverend by the name of Brian Massingale who sometimes preaches at St. Charles and pursues his ministry in ways that echo both Martin Luther's. And so like King, uh, Massingale decries a scourge of racial inequality in in the United States. And as a professor, at Fordham University, he teaches African-American religious approaches to ethics. And so Massingale is often at odds with the Catholic Church teaching. He himself is gay, but he supports the ordination of women and making celibacy optional for Catholic clergy. And as a gay man, he vocally disagrees with the church's doctrine on same-sex relations and instead advocating for full inclusion of LGBTQ Catholics within the church. And so for Massingale, racism within the U.S. Catholic Church is a reason for the exodus of some Black Catholics. He says the church is not doing enough to tackle racism within its ranks and even in the broader society. So, Adrian, you know, I thought this was a really interesting article because the Catholic Church does will so much power. And, you know, there has been this tension of course, between the LGBTQ community and the church, but also between black people and the church. When you talk about um, the racism that exists, but you have this, you know, um, the Reverend Brian Massigo trying to change it from within. He's got his work cut out because they are such a powerful organization. It's going to take, not saying you can't do it, but it's going to take a lot more than one man to, to change the Catholic church from within. So he's got his work cut out for him. You know, it, it's a tough situation just because, you know, religion or religious um, practices vary amongst denominations. Um, you know, I remember being in a Methodist church and, you know, the conversation was that, you know, we don't mind, you know, uh, someone being openly gay in our congregation. It's, you know, they don't mind that. But if you want to be a part of the clergy, uh, that's a whole nother story. It's like, we don't want you a part, you know, of that, you know, we don't mind you calling your brother. And it's like, you know, I feel like he's going to, you know, be, you know, climbing an uphill battle, um, with this because, you know, there's probably only a, a section of, you know, Catholics that may believe in all of this equality and unity. And there's probably another who don't believe in what the LGBTQ community is trying to stand for, just like it is with, you know, modern day Christianity. There's some churches I've gone to where they're just like, you know, you know, all colors are welcome. All people, multi-generational, multi, you know, uh, um, ethnicity. I mean, it's just, everybody's there. I mean, uh, and there's just some that are very um, 
fire and brimstone. So um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what what he'll see, but I would imagine it's it'll probably be an uphill battle. But um, to take us away from you know talking about the church, to talk about Snoop Dogg and smoking weed, um, you know, it's you know I I didn't know I didn't read much about this story, but you know it's you know Snoop Dogg smoking weed. That's just like. I feel like everybody knows about that. It's like, Water you know, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like this person who's talking about it. It's just like, I, I don't know. But here's the story. Listen, you tell us what you think. Uh, New York Post is facing backlash for reporting about Snoop Dogg smoking weed at the Super Bowl halftime show this past Sunday. According to a New York Post article, Snoop Dogg lighting up, which is legal in the state of California, was referenced as a warm up before his halftime performance. And on Twitter, many users have criticized the New York Post for even writing about the musician during this in the first place. New York Post blackmail does 100%, uh, excuse me, New York Post blackmail does something 100% legal in the state of California. Comedian John Flingelsang wrote, I brushed my teeth when I got up this morning. Where's my New York Post article? Another person wrote as a way of implying that Snoop Dogg smoking weed wasn't very newsworthy. Many people on social media defended Snoop Dogg and emphasized how cannabis for recreational and medical use was legal in California. And that is completely true. Um, I mean, it's 100% legal in both areas. So it's not even, I don't even know why they reported on it. That's not even, it's not even <laughs> not a bad really. thing. It's like, you know, it's a smoking way before performance. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not news because of one, who it is, is Snoop Dogg, and two, where he is. It's like, what are you, what are you getting at here? Like, it's not breaking news. Like, <laughs> just kind of silly. But that's this is where we are with our news media, or some of our news media. I won't say all, some. Um, but we'll move on from that story. Take you to TikTok, where Jessica Ann Mitchell Awuyer is the founder of the National Black Cultural Information Trust, and so. She is using her TikTok account to educate her followers on Black history by debunking myths, uh, by debunking myths, recounting little known facts and discussing the importance of historical remembrance. So in one of her videos, she debunked fake Black history to show how easily misinformation can become history. And so one of the things she debunked is the Willie Lynch letter. And so she said, quote, the Willie Lynch letter is fake. She explained there's absolutely no historical record of this person ever even existing. She also debunked the myth that Sojourner Truth never said, I, ain't I a woman? She said Sojourner Truth never uh, never said, ain't I a woman? Uh, she went on to say that that was never a part of her speech. That was part of a fictitious account that was rewritten 12 years later after her actual speech by a white woman abolitionist. Um in her TikTok video, she also debunked the myth that Jesse Jackson did not create the term African-American. She said, quote, he's not even responsible for popularizing the term. That was a black woman activist, Ramona Edelin, who actually popularized the term African-American. So um, she's, you know, give her a follow for sure. Her name is Jessica Ann Mitchell Awire, and that's A-I-W-U-Y-O-R. So I thought this is pretty funny, Adrian. And really a smart way to get into explaining black history and debunking some of those things, you know, the Willie Lynch letter, 
Sojourner Truth, Jesse Jackson, and the term African-American. Um, I love the way, you know, reaching people where they are. TikTok is a huge platform now, and she's hitting on some things that maybe a lot of people misremember <laughs> or have been lied to or told differently. I love the idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I think um, some of these things, which I don't, I don't know much. Maybe I do know about the Willie Lynch letter, but I don't. I don't like that. I can't think of what um, what that's even talking about. Um, and you know, these other things. It's really good to get people to you know kind of see more about Black history in a different way. Uh, because you know we had a Black History trivia night on campus this week, and you know some people like you know learning about Black history through trivia, but this is definitely a, probably a better way to kind of teach it because you know more people are on TikTok than they are at trivia nights and stuff like that. So <laughs> good thing that she's uh, uh taking care of this. And um, let's see here. Oh, we're oh nice towards the end of this segment here. Uh, and to wrap it up, uh, always going to end on a good note here. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Cornell West, among instructors for free masterclasses offered for Black History Month. So that's really, really cool. Uh, like I said, Nicole Hannah-Jones and Cornell West, among the instructors for an over 10-hour masterclass offered during Black History Month. For a press release, masterclass is offering free classes for the public for the first time in its ver- in its observance for Black History Month. The class entitled Black History, Black Freedom, and Black Love is available to stream for no cost on his website during February. Available on masterclass.com, IMBD TV, and Amazon Prime Video. The instructors of the masterclass includes an impressive stable of scholars like Dr. Jelani Cobb, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, Angela Davis, Hannah Jones, uh, Hannah Jones, uh, oh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Nicole Hannah Jones. I think they've yeah, there we go. First no, name. it's all good. I, was, I, was, I feel like there was some more to the name there. Uh, Cheryl Eiffel, John McWarver, or McWarder, and uh, Dr. Cornell West. Um, some really heavy hitters. That's impressive. Uh, Black History, Black Love, and Black. Uh, Black History, Black Freedom, and Black Love is a three-part, 54-lesson class that deals with past, present, and future race relations. The statement releases, or the statement says, the free class is possible due to the $2 million commitment Masterclass is making to create content that inspires and educates people about social justice and fighting against systemic racism. Um, that's really cool that they're doing that. Um <laughs> the 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 funny thing is like the uh the fifty four classes I'm like gosh yeah did <laughs> say it's ten hours yeah it is ten hours that is true I'm I'm just like you know people aren't gonna want to binge watch that it's not like you know you know The Witcher or Ozark or something else that people are binge watching right now but better be. <laughs> Go out there and binge me. We need to promote this. You know, it's I saw a master class where Chef Ramsey was doing some classes. So that's how I kind of know about it. But mm-hmm. it's good to see that they're doing a Black History Month project. So uh listeners, you know, go check it out. You've only got um what, ten more days left for this to be free. Um, so you know, that's an hour a day, um, to you know, kind of divide that 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 fifty four 
uh, lesson plan up for you, but go check them out. Uh, post your comments. Let us know what you're learning. But what we're going to do, we're at the end of our second segment of news, but don't uh, don't leave us just yet because we still got some more stuff. Don't forget our quick hits. It's just our funny way to break down some news. Uh, give you some odd stuff, some weird stuff, funny stuff. Who knows? Just make sure you stick with us so you'll be in the loop and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it. Our quick hits here. And our first one is talking about some baptisms. Um, that are actually invalid because of the words that the priests use. So interesting story here. In Arizona, priests resigned from the Diocese of Phoenix after after officials announced a single change word invalidated all the baptisms he performed up until June 2021. The Diocese of Phoenix said all baptisms performed by the Reverend Andres Arago uh, until June 17, 2021, were invalid because the priest said we instead of I when reciting the phrase, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the priest resigned from the diocese effective February 1st. The diocese said the priest remains a priest in good standing. Uh, this is a quote. I, it saddens me to learn that I have performed invalid baptisms throughout my ministry as a priest, regularly using an incorrect formula. I deeply regret my error and how this has affected numerous people in your parish and elsewhere. The priest said in a statement on the, di- on the diocese website, the diocese posted a form online for anyone affected by the invalidated baptisms. Officials said other sacraments, including marriage, might need to be repeated if they followed an invalid baptism. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, you know, just bad you know, all around just by saying we baptize you in the name rather than saying I baptize you in the name. It's, you know, that, that one word is just like, I get how you're trying to be inclusive, Father, but, you know, you got to stick to the right stuff. It's like now people got to go do their marriages all over again, got to bring in all your babies again and get them rebaptized. And <sighs> it's, I'm sorry, it's, <laughs> it's not that funny, but it is pretty funny. What's making me laugh is I saw a tweet. Um, from the this guy uh, Roy Wood Jr., who was on the Daily Show, um, he tweeted saying, "Imagine dying, then finding out you got to go to hell because of a clerical error." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's awful. <laughs> it's not funny for the people it's affected, but Jesus, man, you you got to do. You got to pay closer attention. Um. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But we'll move on from that story. That's terrible. To another story that's funny, but also pretty terrible, too. Um, This is a case of romance fraud. So be careful if you're out there looking for love, because you could get taken advantage of. So for the victim, who is a 78-year-old man from Annandale, it started out with an effort to find some companionship. He created an account on a social network called (laughs) iFlirt. and then made contact with someone identifying herself as a widowed woman 
in her 30s who seemed interested. The relationship grew, though the scam started to emerge. The woman who claimed to be from New York said she was arrested while traveling to Germany to retrieve an inheritance of gold bars and she needed money to make bail. And so the man sent the money only to get another message that she was arrested a second time and needed even more money. And so in the end, the Annandale man who was not identified in court papers got taken for well over $500,000. And he is the latest victim in a growing trend known as romance fraud or romance scams. And these sort of scams reached a record high in 2021, increasing by nearly 80% from 2020. So this is according to a report from the Federal Trade Commission. So it's not funny. It's sort of funny, but it's also very serious. And so I, I picked it because of the fact that he got taken for $500,000. So just as a warning to you, we just got past Valentine's Day. So be extremely careful out there on these dating apps, uh, because if anybody tells you they, they have to go get an inheritance of gold bars and they need to travel to Germany to go get it, it's likely a scam. <laughs> just going to let you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I mean, this person definitely had some, some money to, you know, be, you know, sending this amount of money in the first place. I'm like, I can't even think of just, if somebody would ask me for, hey, I need $500,000, I'd just be like, this is definitely a scam because, you know, I don't have this money. But uh, that's that's definitely something you got to watch out for, I guess, um, you know. Usually, you know, you know not to do anything like this. I always tell you if somebody overseas is asking you, you know, for some money, that's probably not a good thing. But um, talking about overseas, this is another overseas story here. I, you know, Devin, I don't think I would ever volunteer uh, to do this, but apparently there are a lot of people uh, that live over in uh, Zurich that don't mind, um, don't mind being a part of this. So. Hundreds of people have jumped at the chance to test out a new prison in the Swiss city of Zurich by volunteering to take part in an open house uh, before the facility accepts its first inmates. Details of the March 24, uh, March 24 to 27 test run are still being worked out. But Zurich Correction Authority said Thursday they have received 832 applications for as it for an as yet undetermined or undecided number of spots. Their temporary stand-ins won't have to pay or get paid to participate in the jail's dress rehearsal, and they will be treated like inmates in some regards. They'll have you know different testing foods, undergo and take procedures, including walking the yard. The volunteers can't bring cell phones and other electronic devices. Every participant will require security clear- clearance and need to undergo undergo checks similar to airport airport screenings. Search, uh, strip searches upon entry, however, will be optional. So I, I don't know who's going to say they want a strip search. I mean, someone's kinky, maybe. Um, the stunt doubles also will receive a safe word, uh, talking about kinky, um, that they can give to staffs to bail out immediately if they get cold feet or start to crack under the pressure. So, um, that's a good, um, thing there. I guess I don't think I would ever volunteer to be part of a, a prison sleepover party for the weekend or whatever, but, um, that's what, <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, it's like, you know, can't have my phone, gotta eat prison food. Um, 
you know, walk in the yard. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I can't really have 800 people. I mean, I guess there's some people who wouldn't mind that. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think you could ever worry about me volunteering to go test out a, a new prison, I guess, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's pretty bizarre. And it's just anything. When I see stuff like this, it makes me think like, you know, some of the prisons that we have here in the United States, and how awful they are. But then we have people in, say, Switzerland, <laughs> you know, uh, where they're happy to go and test out the new prison, you know, before they actually open it for real. It's like, what? Seems kind of insane. <laughs> that that's This is the same planet, but it is. Uh, but we'll move on from there to our very last story here. Um, it's going to come from Twitter. So there was a bidet company that announced that it's holding an unusual Super Bowl contest. And the news made a big splash on, on Twitter. And so on Wednesday, Tushy's tw- Tushy, which is the bidet company, tweeted that its Super Bowl contest will award $10,000 to the best Super Bowl poop sent on what is its dubbing Super Bowl Monday. And so Tushy's social media team were sure to note that you should not send in your, your pictures until... Uh, next week, which is this week. And so unsurprisingly, Twitter users had a lot of thoughts about this crap-seeking contest. So we'll read you a few of these tweets. They're kind of funny. But they're saying, Tishy Bidet actually tweeted, post your poop on the timeline and tag us and use hashtag Tushy Super Bowl to enter. If you're poop shy, shoot us a DM. And if you want to read the official rules, here's a link. And so... Of course, people were all over this. Somebody said, I can't believe I'm raising a child in a world where this exists, talking about posting your poop for $10,000. Another tweet said, bless the people who will be reviewing the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was another funny tweet that said, this is certainly one way to drive engagement. Keep the Tushy social team in your thoughts and prayers. (laughs) (laughs) And then another person said, Satan came up with this campaign. I would agree with that one. I don't know who had this idea. It was great marketing. Um, (laughs) So another one said, why, why, why do this? What's wrong with you? Why, why? No, please. Um, So, (laughs) And then somebody last one said, what could possibly go wrong? So with having people (laughs) send them pictures of their poop. So... (laughs) I don't know. I guess it sounded like a good idea before you actually did it in practice. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully none of the listeners actually sent pictures of their poop to the company. Well, maybe you did. You might get $10,000. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a interesting, quick way to make ten grand. But like the first tweet you said or second one, I don't want to be a judge for the competition. Like, no. I don't. don't you're going to have to pay me, you know, <laughs> 10 grand times something to, to get me to like, you know, you got, I hope you, I hope those judges are getting at least 10 grand to, to be a part of this, um, this, this, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but to, uh, take us to another, which, oh, which are, I, I realized our, our script had these other two, um, quick hits, like bump down to yeah, the other no, page. <laughs> I thought we were done too. <laughs> yeah, listeners, yeah, we, we're gonna we'll, we'll make sure we still keep you laughing here. Um, this was an interesting one out of Michigan where somebody's cabin, like the entire cabin, got stolen. 
Uh, Michigan authorities are searching for a home that vanished. According to Detroit Free Press, the 12 foot, 28 foot, 12 foot by 28 foot cabin was removed from its lot and hasn't been seen by anybody. The owners of the small structure told law enforcement he didn't know how it disappeared or why anyone would want to steal it. Uh, this is a trooper. It's kind of a weird situation. At this point, the cabin is definitely not where it's supposed to be. There are different motives, but that's a detail we are trying to uncover. Michigan State Police said that the cabin was located off County Road 571 and has been occupied by the owner for several years before he decided to move. Investigators claim that they have identified potential suspects but remain tight-lipped to ensure the probe isn't compromised. They also say that it's difficult to locate the home because it's been months uh, since it's actually been, or rather it's been stolen for months as as it's been uh, reported. Um, So really interesting to see that someone was able to you know i don't I don't really know how you take an entire cabin like i don't i don't really know what process like like how no one knows what's going i mean maybe you just think that the person who's taking the cabin like it, it's theirs like yeah. I, I don't or maybe they just did it at the you know at the cover of night and you know nobody heard them loading up a cabin like i, I just i just don't know how this happens I guess like you like you were just saying like nobody would think anyone would have the guts to s- steal a cabin like you don't just walk up it's not like picking up a bike or stealing somebody's television at the house like you don't just come and take a cabin and so I guess if you're going to do it it's like okay that has to be the person who owns it cuz nobody else would just be like hey you know I'm just, I'm going to take that cabin <laughs> I want right. that cabin <laughs> That's I mean, crazy that's pretty wild. Hopefully exactly. They find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but our last story here, we'll go from stealing cabins to some customers got more than what they bargained for at a, a local Thai place, a local Thai restaurant in Las Vegas. So more than 30 people who ate at a Thai restaurant in Las Vegas this year have reported getting sick. And so the Nevada, the Southern Nevada Health District said Friday the health officials are investigating what led up to what they called a quote unusual illnesses. And so patrons of the secret of Siam restaurant located on Sentinel center Boulevard reported increased heart rates, blurred vision, disorientation, loss of consciousness and numbness or tingling within hours of being at the restaurant. Some uh, customers have told local news outlets, they suspect their food was tainted with THC the compound in cannabis that produces the high sensation. And so after seeking medical attention, and this is after they sought medical attention and tested positive for THC, the health uh, district is asking anyone who ate in this at this place in January or February to take a survey on its website. And Las Vegas police have also fielded some reports of illness. And so this is pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty bizarre story. I don't know if they're, lacing their food with THC to give it a little extra flavor. Whatever they're doing is leading people to f- to feel as though they're probably high and somewhere in the clouds, I guess, after they ate the food. I mean, <laughs> that's what it seems like. You know, unless they have some sort of THC allergy, I mean, they, I don't think there's any other way you would um, be able to see about that other than maybe they just feel high and yeah. it's too much for them or something. I mean... 
Um, you know, I guess that's that's one way to up your food sales. You know, lace your stuff with <laughs> THC. You know, yeah, maybe. I guess yeah. If you get high, or if you get the munchies or anything after, I guess you say they'll come back for more. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but that'll do it, listeners. That's going to do it for our main portion of the show. We're going to take our last break, and when we come back, we're going to wrap it up and let you know what's coming up on the show as far as our next episode with a really great guest and topic and also our next weekly roundup so stick with us we're going to be right back you have been listening to the black agenda podcast if you're enjoying the show let us know by leaving a review on apple Podcasts or spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it after all the black agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you now let's get back to the show Welcome back, listeners. So, as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So, first off, we will be releasing a new episode this upcoming Tuesday. That is Tuesday, February the 22nd. Um, That episode is going to be called What Should Reparations Be? So, our guest is going to be Dr. Amira Ania, who is the Policy and Research Coordinator with the Movement for Black Lives. And so, We're going to talk with her and really dive into what should reparations be? What would that look like if we actually got them? So make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a really great conversation because reparations has been a a hot topic the last couple of years. And a lot of people think, and so do we on the show, believe that they are necessary. So we're going to dive into the question of what should reparations even be? What should it look like and how should it be implemented? So make sure you tune in. On Tuesday, February 22nd, as we talk about what reparations should be with Dr. Amira Ania, who is the policy and researcher research coordinator with the movement for black lives. And so coming up after that, the following Saturday, next Saturday, February the 26th, we'll be right back here with you to bring you more news and information. Uh, it'll be weekly roundup number six. So make sure you tune in and hear me and Adrian bring you some funny news, some odd news give you our spin and our take on what's happening in the world around you. So make sure you tune in next Saturday for weekly roundup number six. And so before we go, we want to let you know you can help us out, <clears throat> not just by listening to the show, but you can donate to us. And Abe is going to let you know how you can do that. Thanks, Devin. Uh, listeners, absolutely. Uh, help us out. You know, we'd love that you listen to us and that you, you know, follow along, share and all that good stuff. But if you could go to our website and give us money, that would be even better. And the reason why is because Devin and I, we're trying to do something here. We're trying to build a, an organization, you know, build a, a movement of ourselves, you know, talking about movement for black lives. We're trying to do that, you know, be a part of that fight, be a part of that struggle to help to make sure that, you know, generations to come, you know, we can have a legacy of black excellence uh, and some restoration for the people. So we can't do all that. I mean, I know that sounds big and fancy, but that's what we're trying to do. And we can't do that without you giving donations. So like I said, go to our website, hit that donate tab. You're going to go over to our patron account. You can donate from there. If you're going through our timestamps, there's a donate tab right there that you can click on to, and you'll be able to get to the same thing different levels to sign up for. As you sign up for different levels, you'll be recognized in different ways, even some merchandise in there. So like I said, our website, go there and hit that donate tab. Our website is just blackagendapod.com or in the timestamps, click that donate tab. 
And as always, to spread the love, we want to talk about a charity of the month. And we've been talking about the Equal Justice Initiative and their commitment to end mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. They are a private 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment and even promote reentry existence re-entry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. So really interesting organization there. Go check them out. Like I said, the Equal Justice Initiative, but make sure you stop by our website first, blackagendapod.com and click that donate tab. Exactly. So make sure you help them out and help us out. Everyone can use a little bit of help these days. Um, That is how we get things done. So before we go, we also want to let you know you should be following us. If you're not, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod. And also, new this season, we have some fantastic interns who are helping us fulfill, you know, really build out our website. And we're excited to announce that we have launched a news section of our website. It is called Our Voice, and they are writing, our interns are writing some fantastic uh, articles even some poems in there. So make sure you check it out. Just go to blackagendapod.com forward slash news. and You'll find all sorts of articles that have been written by our interns. Again, they're writing some really, really great articles. So make sure you check it out. Blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And check it out. Let us know what you think. We're trying to really grow the show here. Give it, Give you some information in some different ways. Listen to it here, but also read it on our website. Uh, lastly, you can find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And also, again, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. So for me and Adrian, as always, we appreciate you staying with us and, and listening to us. And we enjoy bringing you the news. This was another fantastic show. So until this upcoming Tuesday, we'll be back with you talking about reparations with Dr. Amira Ania, she's policy and research coordinator with the Movement for Black Lives. So until then, we'll catch you next time.